Hello humans, welcome to The Frontline, a leadership and business podcast brought to you by Peregrine Corporate Services, an Isle of Man-based fiduciary provider. My name is Martin Hall, and thanks for listening. In this podcast, we chat to an array of business leaders from different sectors to learn more about them, their market, skill sets, and knowledge. We hope you enjoy. Uh, today, I'm joined by Greg and David. Thanks for joining us today, guys. You're welcome. Thank you for having us, uh, Martin. It's good to be with you. Pleasure. So perhaps for our listeners to provide a little bit of background to, to your respective selves, maybe I'll start with you, Greg. Where did you initially grow up and your early schooling years? And I was born in Bedford um, and uh, spent the first sort of 10 years of my life in uh, a small town called Saffron Walden, not too far from Cambridge. Um, and then uh, my family moved over to the Isle of Man in 1995, so carried on schooling here at, uh, at Castle Russian. Right. And did you get on to a higher education? Um, yeah, I did. Uh, so I actually did a trip around a couple of different universities. Um, so I was at um, York for a while and then Aberdeen. Yeah. Okay. Studying? Uh, red anthropology. Oh, and, and that is... Uh, so it's not really the, the study of, um, of cultures um, and actually it's something that sort of carried on a little bit in, in work and sort of looking at different business cultures, um, which fits in nicely when you're uh, in business development and, and spend a, a lot of time in, in different corners of the world. Yeah, no, absolutely. Might dig in. Well, we'll definitely dig into that. More about yourself, David. Mine's a little bit similar than, uh, than Greg's. I, um, obviously, I'm from a place called Newcastle upon Tyne by my accent. Um, and I was educated at uh, King Edward School, it was, and I went there. And then um, I joined I joined one of the banks. I joined, if anyone remember, TSB Bank at the age of 16. I left college and joined what was supposed to be a job for life back in the day in a bank. Right. Uh, with them for 30 years. Right. And obviously for, the, for those listening, uh, David, you're obviously down in South Africa at the moment, and Greg, you're on the Isle of Man. Uh, I was going to say that's the reason we're on Zoom, but obviously with uh, the general climate anyway, meetings are, are more and more difficult anyway, although we're, we're quite fortunate, I guess, in the Isle of Man. So you're obviously both with uh, Cabell International. So maybe just give a quick overview again, if we go in the same order, just of your respective roles. Yeah, thanks, Martin. So uh, I, I'm very much focused on the investment side of the business. Um, so my main day-to-day role is uh, business development for our discretionary uh, investment team. So working with trustees, corporate service providers, and uh, uh, institutional clients um, to provide uh, capital's range of uh, investment solutions. Okay, and obviously, based obviously, you should be traveling. I'm sure a lot more at the moment, but, but Isle of Man based primarily. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I um, actually sat down in our Castle Town office. Uh, so we've got Douglas and Castle Town offices. And uh, yeah, uh, yeah. whereas David's uh, down in our, in our South Africa office. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, so myself, I'm the commercial director for Capital International in South Africa. Uh, and my role uh, primarily is, is building the presence of Capital International not only in South Africa, but in the wider Africa, and that's on a, on a business-to-business uh, relationship. I'm also heavily involved with the operational side of the business because initially we only had four staff when I came to South Africa, 
and we've now got nearly 30. So it was sort of uh, build the business and also uh, support the operational side of things. So, so, so one of the things I wanted to dig into, and it's kind of on that on that general subject, when you've obviously been down there from a from early stages, the growth of that and bringing that one that culture of that business culture from the Alman down there, and then the dynamics of the cultures down there. How how have you found in the development of the business finding that balance to continue to bring the right ethos to the business and that balance? Yeah, it's a good question, and, it, and it, it's a, it's not that difficult. Um, the first and foremost thing that I, when I joined Capital was knowing that they were um, committed to South Africa because you've got to have an office, I believe, in country because it then supports you know the clients you're dealing with and their advisors and their, their fiduciaries or intermediaries. And then the, the staff understand it. You know, it is a challenge because you've got remote working. But the, the culture that we've, we've developed and I've developed, I, I was here previously um, with another company and actually recruited some of the staff that used to work for them that had been retrenched to understand the culture of UK working. And because it is different in, in South Africa, um, the, work, the way we work is different. Um, I always say that, you know, we always think the glass is half empty because we're always worried what might happen. We're in the UK kind of always looking forward. Right. Uh, yeah, so there is different in, in challenges. But it's actually they're exciting because you're you you're kind of at a you're an emerging market, so it's it's an exciting because you can do things or uh, get things done a lot quicker, because because it tends to be not as much bureaucracy or red tape. If you are, have an idea, as long as it fits the rules and regulations, you can implement it because you're a smaller team. Yeah, right. And from an Alman perspective, Greg, when you see that, I know you've been with the firm less time than than David. How do you see that? Do you see the different cultures just from your side within the business, albeit perhaps they're not as big a culture differences because you're ultimately under one banner? But do you see that from your side? Uh, I think um, one thing that Capital International is very strong on is serving international clients um, wherever they are. And, and we've got quite a big book of clients growing in Latin America as well. Um, and, and I think we're a lot of clients are, are looking for uh, a jurisdiction that's safe, secure, it's almost their plan B. And, and to a large extent, we see that with the South African clients where um, they like having the team on the ground, but they want to have their investment management from the Isle of Man. Um, but we also see that for, for clients that, that we're serving in, in lots of different jurisdictions. And mm. um, I, I think one of the, the other areas that, that we do see sort of the, the, the sort of element of emerging markets is when we're working with trustees and corporate service providers where their clients uh, are in emerging markets and, and i think there is a um, sort of an ethos within capital that will look at clients wherever they are and, and we acknowledge you can have good clients in bad jurisdictions um, we recently onboarded a client that uh, is based in zambia and, uh, and, and very much a, a low risk client in many ways um, but he was able to open an investment account with us um, during lockdown, as it happened, using selfie certification, um, and, and I think he may have struggled um, with more um, sort of some managers that, that perhaps don't have that uh, that sort of broader perception of, uh, of the international landscape. And just to go back to that point, David, where you talk about and, and perhaps people that are, have got businesses and are looking to expand to, well, that obviously 
I guess ultimately it's also sector related, but where ultimately you're looking to expand into other jurisdictions, you feel that footprint's uh, a very, very important part of that, I guess, and having that presence, constant presence. Yeah, you know, I've, I've worked in an office where we had a presence in South Africa and then we left and I actually, I, I ran it from the Channel Islands and although the business continued, it didn't have the same growth because when you're in country, you understand the political, the economic situation that we're in, that we are in. A lot of South Africans, you know, they've seen what's happening in places like Zimbabwe and other Africa and they've been touched by that. And they want to know that you're, you're living and breathing and understand uh, exactly what they go through. You know, the one thing that uh, we spend a lot of time on initially was educating Isla Man. Was in South Africa, we still have exchange controls. So you can't just say, I want to transfer money. You know, yeah. You've got to get permissions and there's limits. And that's kind of alien to the UK and, you know, first world countries, exchange controls. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's it's an interesting point on a, from an investment perspective as well to add to that, Martin, that often clients in emerging markets are used to having high interest rates at home um, and um, might have still 90% of their wealth invested um, domestically. Um, but what we have seen recently with interest rates coming down, you take Brazil as an example again, they, their interest rates came down from 14, 15% down to 2% now. Um, so there, there is that element of, um, of wealthy individuals in emerging markets um, helping them to, uh, to establish and manage an international portfolio. Um, and, and you see when you do have um, sort of shocks in markets like we saw in Q1 this year, um, that actually that's felt a lot harder if you're a, a client in an in emerging market currency. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that's, that's one of the things that capital does well is um, assist clients with their circumstances, um, whether that is um, sort of preservation of capital or, or whether it's longer term uh, focus on, on capital growth. Uh, I think one of the other areas that, that I see a lot on the investment side is, is maybe clients that have been in emerging markets that have been um, have perhaps been a little bit naive uh, when it comes to international investments. Um, so quite a lot of our work often will be doing a portfolio review on an existing portfolio where maybe they've got challenges with illiquid assets or something esoteric mm. um, and, and trying to then guide them towards a, a suitable investment strategy um, that that will serve them well for for the long term. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, so to to come back to and it's it's quite an open question, but I know you mentioned there about selfie search and it kind of reminds, I suppose, people in business and certainly the time we we're going through again when the Isle of Man we're perhaps in a slightly more fortunate situation now with COVID, perhaps certainly less so than South Africa, but businesses adapting and perhaps not specifically focusing on the changes in COVID, but something I, I know as an observer of CRG, if, you know, we've got a business relationship as well, is that the business is very adaptable. So again, I, I guess there's two boards, one in South Africa, one in the Isle of Man, and, that, and that, that ability to adapt. So when you first look at how COVID implemented, I know now you're doing webinars and uh, uh, again, trying to reach uh, an audience in a different circumstance. How have you found that, that adaptability and things perhaps you, that listeners could could learn from from your your guy you know your guys' respective experiences, and I suppose at a very different time recording this now mid mid August, twenty twenty. So again, uh, respectively, where you sat, the the the, the position is very different. Yeah, I, I'll pick part of that up. Um, yeah, it is because we kind of got 
two camps, if you, if you want to say. The Isle of Man is really out of COVID and business as usual. We're in South Africa, we're still on lockdown, social distancing, minimum numbers into offices. So it's kind of, you've, you've got to be conscious of over, over the Isle of Man, you know, it's kind of business as usual, but we're still working from home. But actually, we ha I had a, a case on this last week where we, we allowed electrical, electronic signatures um, during lockdown. And then somebody asked us, can you continue this in the future? So it's, 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 it's been able to adapt and, you, and using the efficiencies in that. Because just because we used it for a set purpose, COVID and Isle of Man's coming out of COVID, um, doesn't mean we should then stop using them like selfies, like electronic signatures and everything like Zoom. You know, I, I did a webinar recently on what does face-to-face -face look like now? You know, ask your client that, what do they want? It's just a face-to-face. And I, I used to love face-to-face -face meetings, but, I can do a lot more during the day. I don't need to see everybody, you know, face to face. I don't have the traffic that I normally have to deal with. So I've actually got time in my diary to kind of to do other things that yeah. probably what I was doing at night. Yeah. I think David, part of that is, is you've built up relationships over many years and actually if you know them well enough, it doesn't matter where they are, if you can dial in and do a Teams meeting with them, um, it's, it's the next best thing to being able to, to go and sit down and, uh, and, and do an actual face-to-face. -face. Yeah, and a good point, you can get key and critical contacts all together a lot easier, you know, what it's like if you're trying to get, you know, an MD, an FD or whoever, a CIO, at the same time, the diaries are, are normally or they're in different places, whereas you can say, right, Monday morning, 8 o'clock, let's get it in the diary, we can all zoom in, and you can have that meeting very quickly before the week started. Yeah, and, and I, I think um, decisions often get made far quicker because you don't have that element of you have your meeting, you then go back to, to your base and then do your follow-up and, and wait for a, uh, for a response from, from the prospective client. And we had had that earlier in the year, Martin, it's um, without going into any details, we had a, a institutional client that was using us for some services, mainly on the on the cash management side. And um, we'd met with uh, the their sort of private office in Singapore um, in November um, around a step conference that we were attending. And um, we were we were fortunate enough to, to be pitching for a um, a very sizable uh, discretionary man mandate to to manage uh, an equity only uh, portfolio, um, and we we hadn't got all of the uh, paperwork in at that stage. So the by the time we had completed all the paperwork, um, it was just coming into that that point of um, of not being able to do face to face meetings and having to do everything remotely. So in yeah. in many ways, it's kind of almost been business as usual for us because you'll you'll have your relationships in different jurisdictions that you're serving, um, but we've we've always had to have a strong reliance on being able to do things digitally. Um, and that that case was a an interesting one from an investment perspective as well. So we we sort of received the cash in, which was um, sort of in the tens of millions, and uh, the mandate was equity only. So we had to start allocating in a falling market. Yeah, um, have to sort of give a lot of credit to our, our head of equity to to actually have the um, the strength to be able to do that and to to stick to the mandate. And we've now come out. We've we've sort of seen the recovery in in Q two and um, and and. Um, it just sort of highlights the challenges in the environment that we've just experienced, but also the, the, the strength of relationships that you need to have 
um, with your with your clients, whether they're in the Isle of Man, Channel Islands, South Africa, Asia, um, and I think that's what capital is is, is sort of really has a, a strong focus on is is having the, that depth of relationship with their clients, but on a digital footing. Um, so yeah. all of the, the 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 kind of processes that you'll have experienced with um, with capital, it, it, it doesn't matter where you're sat. You, you should get that same sort of relationship experience, but also the same sort of digital experience. Yeah, absolutely. One thing that sort of strikes out of that that dialogue is certainly when you were saying, David, about uh, that potential to to line up senior people at the same time and have a meeting. And again, you go back to the position you guys are in, where you're in pretty much locked down or pretty much, well, yeah, very much locked down at the moment, but the, that positive, that positive attitude, this is a, I guess that resonates through the business, but it's, this is, well, it's a challenging time. There's actually opportunities here, which is to get, you know, in that example, three senior people sat around a table at once, which perhaps I normally wouldn't be able to get done. Yeah. Well, I think it's a, it's an interesting point as a independently owned business clients do get far better direct access to uh, key decision makers, whether that's David down in South Africa on, on a sort of a, a new business transaction and trying to get accounts open in the, in the Isle of Man for them, um, or whether it's on the investment side. I mean, our investment committee, um, we always have a, a morning dial-in, which we, we always do on, on Teams, but that carried on without any disruption whatsoever throughout the whole period. And, and it enabled us to sort of, know exactly where we were in our investment thinking but also for clients to know um, and we probably over communicated uh, at the start of lockdown to clients to say look everything's everything's okay we're looking after your portfolios and and, and your interests um, and and through that whole period i think we lost one account yeah. um, which I, I think is sort of a mark of of having that uh, that ability to communicate um yeah, to, yeah. Uh, your clients um, when when you get challenging market environments just to, just to add on that it's not one point that we picked up over here is it's not just about senior staff if you think about if you've got your let's call it your administration team all in one office and somebody's trying to do a task and they're not sure they've got somebody that they can call on or ask however if, you, if that person's at home working by themselves it's a little bit you know more difficult so what we did we were proactive and went out to all of these teams and said, right, we're going to create, we called it a how to transact or how to deal uh, document that covered everything from onboarding to applications to investments. And it was kind of just a, just a, a, a reminder on how to do things with links or numbers or, or email addresses, just so we could support them. Because we were conscious, you've probably got a team of, let's say, 10 in 10 different locations. Yeah. and difficult for the manager of that team to ensure everybody's doing their role or if they need support or help. So we try to be proactive and say, how can we make this and how can we give documents out there to support them and answer the questions before they get raised? Yeah. I think that was the one thing we noticed in our business as well. Like you say, when you're in diff that, that group chat that you'd normally have or one-on-one -on -one chat, but there's five or 10 others ears around you listening to it, you've kind of lost that ability in when everyone's working separately. So yeah, trying to keep that link. So, and so and being so important and will be, cause I'm sure working from home will uh, become more and more uh, part of the way of life, I guess, going forward. Yeah. You know, and one of our, just as an example, we had, we've got one of our introducers who's got 50 something advisors who cover all of Africa. So it's kind of, you know, <laughs> they, they would normally just go to their central office and get an answer. 
their central office was, was all dispersed. So we thought, right, we need to get out all of these guys so they know at least they've got something on their computer that they can turn to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just to go back to the point you mentioned earlier, Greg, about uh, communication, again, an important subject we try and talk about on the podcast. I know at the moment you guys are doing uh, webinar content content for, for clients, intermediate, et cetera. Do you want to just talk us through what you're trying, obviously what you're trying to achieve there and, and what the type of content that, that's on there? Yeah, so we we've uh, we have we weren't doing webinars uh, prior to uh, to lockdown, but we we immediately knew that we weren't going to be able to get out on the road and, and to go and do those sort of trips where you have eight meetings a day and and go and see all of your your sort of partners in in different jurisdictions. So um, we thought a good way to do that would be to uh, to start a webinar series. So. I had the unenviable task of being uh, webinar host number one for for Capital. Webmaster. Yeah. We were and um, we were um, we were two minutes before going live, so you know when you're sat on the screen there waiting, and and we had our marketing team uh, behind the scenes going, we can't get you on on stage live. Um, so we ended up having to uh, contact the uh, the host at the very last minute, and they said, "Oh yeah, it's uh, now that's a bug in the system. You wouldn't have been able to do anything about that." <laughs> um, the, the first webinar very nearly didn't happen, but um, we we were pleased that it it did, and actually it it covered. I think we had attendees on from Jersey, Guernsey, Switzerland, Monaco, Malta, Cayman, Bermuda, and uh, South Africa. Uh, as well as the Isle of Man and, and UK. Um, and that was kind of our objective, was to reach that larger audience that we've got internationally. Um, that those particular, or that particular series that we're still doing um, was really focused on uh, trustees and corporate service providers. Um, and we, we covered uh, initially just a look at the investment landscape and, and, and particularly how interest rates have been cut, how that had shifted the dynamics on, mm-hmm. on returns across different asset classes. And, and then we did a, um, a follow-up session, really looking at cash and, and fixed income, um, which are two strengths of Capital International. And, and last week we did one on um, on ethical investing and, and sort of a focus on ESG that we've, we've seen a lot of momentum back into now. Um, and it's something that I was involved in 10 years ago. So it was a, an area that, that we wanted to, to cover. But that ability to communicate um, regularly and, and build up a little bit of a following as I'm sure you're seeing in, in your podcast series. Yeah. Um, it's great when you can you can ask the audience what subject they want you to talk about. Um, you can then put together sort of content from your team and, and the knowledge and experience that you've got. And it's a brilliant way to be able to share that. Um, yeah. we, we've really enjoyed doing sort of little poll questions on there as well. So. Um, we, we, we set one uh, for, for the ESG uh, webinar um, where we were looking at um, BP, um, a company that just about every investor has had in their portfolio at some time. And, and the question was, can you, can you, make, can you include BP in an ESG portfolio? Um, and, and, and sort of asking that question uh, out to the audience and seeing what responses you get. And then we had a, a, a fun little panel debate uh, with one of our managers, James Fitzpatrick, who will will come back to because he's got an interesting story of um, migrating from South Africa to the Isle of Man during during lockdown. Oh, right. uh, okay. he, he had the uh, uh, the task of um, sort of saying, well, actually, BP are pivoting towards clean tech, and therefore they should be included in portfolios. And I took the um, somewhat easier case of saying, no, actually, you can never change your legacy as as uh, as a BP and 
um, and, and actually everything they're doing, they're still reliant on, on fossil fuels and therefore shouldn't be in, a, in an ethical portfolio. So it, it just, it's a really nice forum to be able to set those sorts of questions and to have those sorts of discussions. And um, yeah, I think it will, we'd, we'd love to be able to get back out and go and visit all of our partners in different jurisdictions. Um, that's probably not going to happen for a little while yet. So the webinar series is, is a great way to, to keep in contact. And, and actually, we've seen, seen that base of contacts grow to about 700 uh, that, uh, that are on that uh, webinar invite. And, and we're, we're typically getting an audience of sort of 40 or 50 um, that uh, are attending the webinars we're hosting. And then we've expanded it. David, you, you've hosted some webinars now as well, haven't you? Um, sort of more broadly outside of the investment offering that we've got. And uh, I think that format is, is sort of working well. Yeah, so it was quite interesting that you started those, that you had a technical blip with yours at the start of yours. So that must be the first world challenge. Um, my challenge was um, we had load shedding and they turned the lights off. So I had a little delay when mine started while our uh, backup generator kicked in and all the lights came back on. So yeah, that was a bit of a um, baptism of fire when I did mine. We did ours yeah, on, we called it transition to the change in normal. We just talked about how do we do business going forward and what will business look like. But we also covered a hugely topical area on, on ours, which is Citus. You know, you talk about 10 years ago, when, before Greg, 10 years ago when I was advised and we never talked about Citus or the issues with Citus or the impact of Citus. Virtually every conversation I have with clients in South Africa, it's topical and they're asking about it. Where, where it wasn't an issue and they didn't think about it. It seems to be that everybody's talking about Citus at the moment. So we thought it was as topical to do that in our webinar and, and it just can't dispel some of the myths. That was the plan. And they're, they're available, let's call it the back catalogue of them for people that want to go and dig them out. Yeah, and I think that's one of the good things about the webinars. I couldn't attend one of yours, Greg, but I, I listened to it uh, later on because it's available uh, just just to, to listen to. I didn't want to watch you, Greg, because I know what you look like, but I did want to listen to you. <laughs> <laughs> you can do it. You can That's if you can hit you can hit the uh, the button, can't you? And then you're just listening. So, so you can't do that in a face to face meeting. You're stuck on <laughs> <laughs> So so to pivot a little bit, uh, David, I know you recently uh, completed your Institute of Directors. So yeah. maybe just talk through your kind of motives, or obviously probably quite clearly your motive, but your motives for doing that and kind of the benefits you feel that people will get if, they, if that's something they, a route they wanted to explore. So the, the, the reason initially was obviously I've been a senior manager um, for a lot of my career and I, and I understood there's a big difference between a senior manager in, in a business and looking at it from an operational point of view than a director and the responsibilities and the liabilities of being a director of a company, which I think a lot of people um, don't, don't think about. Mm. Now, because I live in South Africa, I did the one week intensive course, and I must underline the word intensive. It is non-stop. Mm. I mean, by the Thursday, um, I was absolutely finished. You know, you start at seven in the morning and you finish at seven in the night, but you're learning so much you kind of all in, there was about 15 of us from around the world, so involved in it that you just, you're enjoying it. But it's, it, it was really hard and intense, but I did enjoy it. Um, and then we kind of got there on the Sunday and straight away we did uh, governance 
and the role of the director. Um, and the guy literally framed the, the, the living daylights out of work by telling us, you know, this is what you're on the hook for now, you're all directors. He kind of went away that Sunday night thinking, oh my God, what have I done? Could have stayed as a senior manager. Um, but, you know, the next day, I think he did it as a, as a purpose to say, you know, this is what it's all about. But then it got, you know, further and further. And further. Leadership and strategy, which I kind of do all the time and I'm heavily involved in, really enjoyed. My kind of Achilles heel was the finance part of it. And I was concerned that, you know, if you're sitting there and you've got a, you know, P&L in front of you and you want to understand it and maybe ask some questions, you've got to be confident in it. And that's why I wanted to do it. Um, and I actually got a distinction on my finance paper, which, kind of, which I kind of believe. Um, <laughs> but yeah, really good. And also I came back and I spent time with our uh, finance director, Paul Atherton, and said, look, this is what I've learned. Give me a bit of how you use it day to day. And it just opened me up to say, you know, at times we'll be in meetings and you don't want to ask the question because it might sound like a silly yeah. question. But as a director, whether, whether a non-exec or not, You've got to ask them questions because you need to know. Even yeah. if someone gives a silly question or they've already answered it, until you're satisfied, uh, ask the question. And that's kind of what really resonated with me. That you are liable, you are responsible, uh, and you, you've got to take that. And you kind of wear two hats. You wear your managerial hat, and then you take that off, and then you put your director's hat on and look from a different viewpoint. Yeah. It's interesting uh, because I'm probably of the same makeup where I'm, you know, I work with accountants and my co-directors are all accountants and I'm not. So you, you I won't say at a disadvantage, but naturally your knowledge is, is a lot less, but there's that, uh, you've got to be, yeah, be comfortable to, to ask the questions, even if you feel like they're dumb questions or go and ask someone of the same, same level or le even levels below you to, 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 to educate you in areas where you need improvement. I think that's one of the things never to be scared of. Yeah, that was one of the really good, in the, the course I was on, you had FDs, you had CEOs, so you had a good mix. Um, and one of the FDs says he had realised that he had to basically dumb down his presentations to his board right. because he was talking in accountancy language that, you know, your, your, your CIO would understand, but, you know, somebody like me, the commercial director, I may not. And yeah. he realised he needed to actually change the language he was using because what he was finding, he was getting lots and lots of questions because they didn't understand the terminology or the words rather than, you know, what, what, what he was actually saying. Yeah. So, yeah, he changed his his style on that. And it kind of, just last week, I was in one of our ex-calls last week and I actually picked a couple of points up on the P&L and the budget saying, you've made a mistake here, this is not right, this is going to impact there. And... Um, our chief investment officer went, wow, David, that course has really come in handy because <laughs> from a commercial point of view, you're challenging everything. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah. And I guess uh, you sell part of your own then development. That's just about becoming more rounded. Yeah, I mean, from, from my past, when RDR came into the UK, I was living in South Africa. So I had to fly back to the UK and sit in, sit in the exams. And I did that to get to level four. And I got a real interest in studying and, and developing that side of things. So I continued and I went, I did 18 exams in two and a half years and got the Chartered and Fellowship. And then obviously the next thing that I was interested in was the director's exams because yeah. that was the space I was moving into. 
and, and I think you should never stop learning. I, I think you know you learn on the job, but academically you should always learn as well because you'll, you'll reap the rewards in the future. Yeah, no, couldn't agree more. And to, to suppose to talk more about studying, we go back to university days, uh, Greg. Then and now in your job, you travel the world and talk about cultures. Perhaps just talk to us a bit about because that's again, as I've not travelled a lot in work, but but again, knowing cultures is so important to one develop relationships and then build business. Yeah, and and I think it's the way that you communicate in different uh, different places with different people, and and. Uh, I think part of that is actually around the sort of investment language you use as well. Um, so just picking up on David's point there, I think everyone that's in a, more of a, a business development role at Capital is also investment qualified. And and one of the things that that I sort of um, through my career have sort of seen that you need to understand the language of the people that you're working with. And so I spend most of my time working with trustees. And so I'm now doing the step qualification. So right. we kind of get a better understanding of, of really what their issues and challenges are. I think, yeah, there is generally from a, a, a sort of a ethnographic perspective that um, business is, is different in different jurisdictions. There's often a lot of common backgrounds. Um, so we've talking about it before you started recording, just sort of sport in different jurisdictions. I mean, if you're you're chatting about cricket to someone in uh, the Caribbean, you know, you've got that common background there. Um, if you're, uh, yeah, I mean, if you're, if you've got more of an awareness uh, of what their um, their cultural background is, then you're, you're, you've got a, a better chance of having a better conversation with them, I think, yeah, and, yeah. and understanding what the, the challenges are. I think sometimes you, it's, some cultures are just so different to your own. The only way to really um, to be able to, to conduct business is by participant observation, by actually going there um, and, and finding out what it's like. Um, in, a, in a previous role of help sort of build a, a, a book of business in <clears throat> in Sao Paulo and, and somewhere I'd always had an interest in but somewhere I'd never been so it was only after sort of six or seven trips that you really start to get a, a better of understanding of, of what makes um, the place tick from a business perspective but all the the, the, the guys that you're meeting and, and um, their backgrounds um, I, I find that really interesting I think the, the Isle of Man is it is an international jurisdiction, and, and I think uh, I suppose my my times a lot of the times been spent either on other islands or in enclaves, if you like. And it's a very different world to the onshore world, and I think that's something that you have to be able to translate. Thinking not only from sort of a maybe a UK or European perspective, but maybe from an emerging market perspective as well, yeah. um, and then relate that to well, how am I going to deal with the Isle of Man team here? That perhaps think uh, a little bit more from an island perspective. Um, and we'll see that when we're talking about um, different different types of business that, uh, that is being attracted to capital, um, being able to understand why they're doing it and what they're doing, and then being able to, to open an account for them. I think that's part of, um, part of the journey that capital's on. I mean, we're very well known in the Isle of Man and in South Africa, um, but up until the last sort of year or so, Capital International was fairly unfamiliar um, mm. as a, an international uh, institution. So that's sort of been the last the journey for the last year, which has really been a sort of a continuation of um, sort of the last seven or eight years. That um, it's, it's an interesting link between those last two discussions as well, because you you look from a from a board perspective, where a, a new business person saying here's an opportunity in, in a location. Uh, 
but it, you know, we all talk about often going, certainly if you're traveling to, to build relationships over time, but know, knowing the culture to, to then sit in front of the board and say, look, the rally is going to take me six or seven trips, not only to build relationships because of the, these cultural differences. So again, that communication as well uh, as uh, knowing that the culture dynamics there or, or starting to understand them that these things might take more time than perhaps the board expect, which obviously then feeds into forecasts and budgets, et cetera, and expectations, business expectations. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, I've kind of almost gone in a slightly different direction, I suppose, to David, who's had a nice sort of progression up and is, is now at the director level. I, I became a director of a, a licensed institution um, about seven years ago. Um, so I had a stint of being um, on, on boards. And um, yes, I enjoyed it, but I actually decided I wanted my focus to be more on the investment side and out working and engage with clients. Yeah. Uh, not that I won't go back to directorship at, at some stage, but it, it, it's funny how your, your career progresses um, yeah. from, from role to role. Well, that, that'll help you because you not kind of in your role as it stands today is I know what these guys are thinking about and need to think about and therefore you can communicate that to them. Uh, and from, from clients' perspective as well, we, we deal with a lot of business owners. So understanding what they're trying to achieve and yeah. just saying, right, okay, well, if you've got a structure, and we had one recently where um, the, the the structure had a, a federation in it. Um, it was in Asia. It was, um, there, there was an Isle of Man CSP, um, and there was um, requirements at different levels within the structure um, yeah. and an investment element as well. Um, and I think if um, if you haven't sort of built the experience of understanding what clients are trying to achieve in different jurisdictions, it would be very difficult to try and take a, a, a pr- prospective bit of new business um, to the to 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 the to our high risk committee or to our board to try and open something up. So I think that's they're the in- interesting bits for us. And I know you want to sort of move on to it a little bit, but we've kind of. We, we, we've got a, a team that's very outward looking in terms of being able to write business. And, and I think hopefully that's a bit of an antidote um, on the investment and the cash management side and treasury side um, to sort of the trend we've seen over the last five, six years where it's very difficult for clients and, um, and, and uh, trustees and, and corporate service providers to open accounts. Um, yeah, and I think that's, it's a very simple point, but we want to understand what you're doing. And then if, if we accept your business premise for, for what you want to do, then we want to be able to open a, an account for you. Yeah. So uh, perhaps just to cover off a, a final point around, I know, again, it's, it's been a, a long process for you guys when you talk about the Isle of Man, the banking license, uh, that, 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 that process. So, if you can have maybe a quick part of history of where, where that went to and where you're at right now. And I suppose the one thing is, again, as an observer of the business is that it felt or it feels like from the outside that, again, that was something customers were asking for and looking for. And therefore, that, that was one of the main drivers to go down that route of getting that license. I'll give you my, my take on it from a, when I joined Capital. So I joined Capital, I started conversations end of 2016 and joined 2017 when I moved back to South Africa from Jersey. Um, and I kind of worked for a big bank all my life, been involved in it. And one of my last roles for this bank was closing down their international jurisdictions. Uh-huh. So I closed down the US, Canada, Mauritius, 
um, all of Africa, apart from South Africa, to name but a few, and most of Latin America. Basically, everywhere where capital does business now. Um, and the, a lot of these were CSPs, TSPs, that we'd had for a long time where we just didn't have the risk appetite. And then when I knew that we were looking to launch a bank, and this was a space um, that we we, we, we we found, I kind of, it resonated with me because I'd actually been on the other side of it, get seeing these clients, sorry, we don't want you anymore. And I'm thinking, well, there's a huge, I know if we're one company doing that and everybody else is doing similar, there's a huge vacuum being created that somebody like Capital, who is nimble, who has a can-do attitude, can step in there. And that, you know, for me, it was, this business wasn't, wasn't risky or high-risk business. It was quality, long-standing business that the head office had made a decision that they weren't interested in anymore. And it kind of, from somebody that had built that business from scratch, it kind of hurt. Yeah, and that's right. why I really wanted to get involved with capital, and especially from a South African point of view, because you know they, a lot of them move their money offshore, want to have somebody to hold it for them, and it's kind of longer term in a trust, in a CSP or whatever it may be. Yeah. And that was the key driver for me, joining capital that one, we're looking to build the bank, and two, we're looking to grow in South Africa because I knew the importance of that. Yeah, yeah. And at the moment, Greg, from an Arman perspective, that process, I know you're building uh, the, the, the back, the, a lot of work going on in the background in regard to the, I suppose, the client interaction as well. Where are you as a business with that? And again, I, I mentioned we're at mid-August at the moment, 2020. Yeah, so the uh, the provisional license was granted in the, the summer of 2019. And, and since then, um, we've been building all of the infrastructure. Um, the, a lot of that has been IT development work. And um, we've got over 30 people in our IT dev team that um, really have, have, have built the, um, the the digital hub, um, which will be the um, the main sort of portal for, for, for clients. Um, and at the moment, we're at the, the sort of final stages of testing that the whole system works. And um, we've sort of employed people to try and break the system um, and to see what bugs and faults there might be in there. Um, and I think there has been um, a, sort of a little bit of a, a test of patience for, for the team because we know we've got this awesome new offering, um, but we can't quite get it out to market yet. Um, so subject to, to sort of how things go in the next uh, next month or, or so the at the moment it's it's sort of penciled in for the doors opening uh, in December right. uh, initially for existing treasury clients that will become first banking clients um, and then subsequently for uh, for, for to wider new clients um, I think it's it's worth sort of just reiterating the the, the length of the journey and the commitment that capital have had to to getting the the banking license and and actually if we have to wait a, another month or so um the market is still going to be there and, and and that point you've made it and, and david kind of alluded to is that um, we've i think capital's had the foresight to see the direction that a lot of the industry is going in and and actually we can if we can be there to to be able to provide those services to um to institutions and and, and clients that are getting closure letters from elsewhere, um, then then we know that we've got a, a really good opportunity yeah. to um, to build a very good solid bank uh, on on the Isle of Man, um, and it's not just the Isle of Man. I mean, we, we see it in Jersey, Guernsey, um, Gibraltar, Malta, um, there all of the islands, and and over in the Caribbean as well are, are struggling um, to have um, fairly simple um, banking services provided. 
Uh, yep. and, and that's really where, where capital comes into its own. No, I, yeah, for being in the CSP, TSP background, yeah, that's very much a, an ongoing challenge. Uh, and again, as an observer, not because you guys are on, on the call now, but uh, as an outsider, again, you, although I've, you can see the amount of time and, and funds being invested to it to ultimately service clients, which I think, you know, again, as an observer, in regard to your business, it's it's a massive commitment, but must must give clients such comfort that you're around. You're not just stagnant. You you want to grow, offer more to clients and more more service levels, more products, uh, more yeah. So that just again just shows a, to me again as an observer a very clear vision that the business has. And then you, you see that a lot of good uh, clients of um, TSPs and TSPs almost being closed out of the market, really. Um, and, and every time uh, um, if, if you go to Switzerland and, and you'll talk to uh, um, talk to trustees there, they'll say, well, I, I did have an account with this private bank, but they've just put their minimum up to 10 million or 20 million. Um, they're good clients with good structures that, that have maybe been there for 20, 30 years. And, and, and then often a trustee will be left with, with nowhere to go. Or they'll get that letter through that says you've got three months to, yeah. to find, a, find a new provider. Mm. Um, so I, I think that's the space that you'll see capital growing into um, once, the, once the doors are open. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's a really good point because, you know, I signed them letters and I built them relationships and I started, you know, in Mauritius, I did lots of trusts in Mauritius while advising in South Africa and then moved to Jersey and kind of two, three years later, I was the person signing them letters to say, here's your notice period, I'm sorry. So they're kind of thinking, hold on a minute, he was our advisor five years ago who set this up for me. Now as the senior manager, he's closing. But it wasn't me that made that decision, obviously. I think, well, I think touching on your point regarding the, the, the development and the tech, that's also multi-jurisdictional. We've got nine software developers in our office in, in Cape Town also. So we realize that it doesn't just have to be on the island. You know, if we can get skill sets from, from elsewhere, and they, you know, they're, they speak every single day because I see them in the offices. And um, yeah, it just shows you that we are committed. And FinTech is, you know, is part of the future. and We, we understand that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So for, for, for listeners that want to reach out, uh, perhaps start with you, Greg, what's the best way for uh, people to, to get in touch with you, connect with you? Um, yeah, the, probably either to uh, book in for a team school or um, if you're based on the Isle of Man, um, we can get out and we yeah. can, do, uh, can do a coffee. Um, um, but yeah, I'm sure Martin will provide um, sort of contact details, email and, uh, and telephone number um, and uh, LinkedIn as well. Yeah, um, I can drop. I can drop back. Into a good point at the moment. The, I mean, if you've got, if you've used your LinkedIn profile well over the last ten years, then actually it's been a, a whole other forum to be able to have discussions with people you might not speak to on a regular basis. Um, but actually, during lockdown, um, we've been able to communicate with them and, um, and and see how they're doing as businesses and see what we can do with them. So, um, so yeah, it, um, we'll add. We'll add to note in the show notes there then and assume for the same for yourself, if that's all right, David, uh, put your LinkedIn profile. I assume you're good for people to... Yeah, certainly do. I use it a lot. Use LinkedIn. Um, unfortunately, won't be able to go for the coffee because I'm still on a bit of a lockdown. <laughs> Zoom, Zoom. Yeah. Thanks for your time today, guys. It's been uh, really interesting and good to, good to dig in. Thank you again. No, thank you, Martin. Re- really pleased to join you and uh, we'll, we'll see you again very soon. Cheers. Thanks, Greg. Yeah, thanks, guys. 
Keep well. Thanks, Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you.